Blog Talk Radio. The Franciscan Friars of the Atonement present the Ave Maria Hour. Hello, this is Father Bob Warren of the Franciscan Friars of the Atonement. Thank you for listening to this rebroadcast of the Ave Maria Hour radio show. The Friars' popular Ave Maria Hour was first brought to the radio airwaves in 1939, recorded in New York City and on the mountainside grounds at Graymore, a home in Garrison, New York. These timeless classic stories of the Bible and the lives of the saints came to life each week through dramatic reenactment by professional actors and actresses. You know, friends, Christ once said, Do not hide your treasure under a bushel. In saying this, he meant share your gifts, share your talents. The Friars of the Atonement feel the message in these broadcasts remains as powerful and timely as when they were originally aired, and we are so happy to be able to share them with you today. To learn more about the missions and ministries of the Friars of the Atonement, I invite you to visit our website, www.atonementfriars.org. In the meantime, sit back and enjoy this rebroadcast of the Ave Maria Hour. Our Lady of Walsingham. The Shrine of Our Lady of Walsingham was established in 1061 after Our Lady had appeared three times to a pious woman named Richeldis and told her to build a replica of the Holy House of Nazareth where the mystery of the Incarnation might be specially reverenced in England. There were miracles at Walsingham and it became a devotional center to which thousands of people came, among them kings, queens, and nobles, who gave or willed valuable gifts. The last king to visit the shrine was Henry VIII. And there has grown up the legend to the effect that when Our Lady comes home to Walsingham, England will return to the faith. Our story is concerned with the reasons for which Our Lady left her home. A boy, Wolsey, a boy. Catherine's given the house of Tudor an heir. Then all is well for England, my liege. But you're not leaving the castle. I ride to Our Lady of Walsingham to give thanks. And with a gift fitting for this great occasion. A ruby necklace to adorn the neck of Our Lady. It is well. I'll see that word of your journey and gift reaches Rome. Attend to it, Wolsey, if you think it necessary. It is well to let the Pope never forget the debt he owes to England and to you, my lady. Well said, but don't bother me now with anything. Do as you see fit. I mustn't keep Our Lady waiting on this, the most happy day of my life. Blessed Mother, I, Henry VIII, by grace of God, King of England, 
come to you on bended knee and bearing a gift worthy of a duke's ransom in thanks to you upon the birth of my son and heir, Henry IX. For the blessing you've bestowed, I'll be forever grateful and will defend and venerate you as long as I live. Some seven weeks later, the door of the chapel opens quietly in the dark of the night, and a dim figure walks toward the image of Our Lady. The figure is barefoot as it lurches forward and falls prostrate before Our Lady of Walsingham. Blessed Mother, before you lies the most miserable of men. Henry, my heir, lies ill unto death. And the doctors say there's little hope. Blessed Mother, save my heir. To you I gave thanks for his birth. Don't take him from me. Don't take him from me. My liege, Wolsey. What are you doing here at this hour? I bring sad news. Henry. Your son is dead. Why? Why, Wolsey? Why should I be denied an heir? My first was born before his time and died, and now Henry. Why? 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 I beg of you, my liege. Other kings have sons. When I ride in the country, I see peasants in the field, each surrounded by his sons. But I, who am their master, have nothing. Nothing, Wolsey. You and your queen are still young. There will be other children, and in time... My poor Catherine. How does she take this tragedy? She asks for you. I go to comfort her. Poor Henry. I know how much you wish an heir, a son. I'm sorry for you, more than words can tell. Henry, whom you called the ninth, was your joy and your hope. But be patient with me, Henry, for I am young. Catherine, I don't blame you in any way. When our first child was born dead before its time, I accepted it as God's will. As you must accept this death. Better by far, if like our first, he had been still at birth. No, no. He had the glow of life for seven weeks. You held him in your arms. You, you heard his cry. I rode to Walsingham to Our Lady at his birth. The King of England went to Our Lady. I walked barefoot and crawled to her and begged her to spare my heir. What was her answer? Dead child within the week. Henry, please... Don't let bitterness against Our Lady enter your heart. She's the Holy Mother. She knows what it is to lose a son. I ask myself why. Dark answers creep into my mind that in something I've sinned and this is my punishment. Please don't brood on thoughts like that. The kingdom needs you now. Keep busy with affairs of state. Ride to the hunt you love so much. Time and work will help you forget. Our Lady has not forsaken us. 
and there will be other children by her grace. Bless you, Catherine. You're my comfort, not I yours. No wonder the people love you and cheer you in the streets. Leave me now. Promise you'll brood no more. And you? I'll stay to my room and weep for both of us. Henry rebounded quickly from his loss. Contrary to popular belief, Henry was deeply religious and a staunch Catholic at the time. And he told himself that God was merely trying him. In the meantime, Wolsey had become cardinal and had gathered more power for himself as Henry's chief advisor. On May 18, 1516, Catherine gave birth to an heir to the English crown. A strong, healthy girl who in later years would bear the unfortunate name of Bloody Mary. Can't pretend I'm greatly disappointed, Cardinal. Console yourself, my liege. The child is healthy and will live. If it's a girl this time, by God's grace, boys will follow. Perhaps I should be thankful that the child's strong and Catherine's doing well, and yet it seems that one who so staunchly supported the papacy, who has obeyed God, should get some reward. You've been blessed in many ways. You inherited a well-filled treasury from your father. England is at peace. You're a friend of the Pope. And in Catherine, you have a wife who loves you and your people. And they in turn adore her. Plagued with doubts. And wonder if I should have married my brother's widow. Forget such thoughts. Arthur was but 15 when he married Catherine of Aragon. He died before the union was consummated. Yes, yes, I know all that. Did not Pope Julius give dispensation that the marriage was holy in the eyes of the church? Catherine's father took care to see that was done. The old fox made sure there would be no flaw before he turned over the dowry. Then why torture yourself with doubt? I remember the law of Leviticus. He that marries his brother's wife doth an unlawful thing. He shall die without children. So? The question arises. Can the Pope make a dispensation for a man to marry his brother's wife when the law of God expressly forbids it. You have a point there, my liege. Let me think about it, for it may be of use someday. During all this time, Henry was a pious and orthodox man, a firm supporter of the papacy, not only as a secular power, but as a spiritual force. True, he always expected something in return, as was evidenced at the end of 1521, when Henry published his Defense of the Seven Sacraments in vigorous reply to Martin Luther's Babylonian Captivity of the Church. A masterpiece, my liege. Luther will squirm when he reads it. Ah, but wait till he comes to that passage where I call him the devil who endeavors to tear Christian members of Christ from their head. Uh, but I call your special attention to my chapter on the sacrament of marriage. Yes, I think it's the best, and it is the longest in the book. Since Luther now denies this as a sacrament, I felt obliged to deal fully with the defense. Coming from you, King of England, at this time, it may well save the faith in Europe. Of course, it was not written with any thought of reward, but uh, I'm sure Pope Leo will not be ungrateful. I suggest the book be sent by special messenger who can read to him the verses I compiled for the dedication to his holiness. Uh, send the dean of Windsor. 
When he presents the book, uh, he can remind Leo that Pope Julius promised me the title of Most Christian King when Louis of France forfeited it by creating the schism of Pisa. Be sure of it. I'll instruct the Dean of Windsor most fully as to what's expected from this noble work. Uh, lose no time, Cardinal. The title will be useful when I deal with other powers. Pope Leo knew nothing about the arrangement his predecessor had made with Henry. However, he was so pleased with the book and the effect it would have that he promptly wrote Henry and conferred a title upon him in recognition of his service. Look, Cardinal, the letter which has just arrived from the Pope. What does he say? Read, read on the back, how he addresses me. To our most Christian son in Christ, yes, yes. Henry of England, illustrious defender of the faith. Yes. Why, this is splendid. Wouldn't you say the equivalent of that of most Christian king which was given to Louis of France? Also. This is personal and more clearly indicative of special service. Oh, defender of the faith. Think of that. Hmm? It, it shall be added to my other titles and will be borne by the kings of England who follow me. Oh, if Catherine would but give me a male heir, my joy would be complete. It is not recorded whether Henry made further trips to Our Lady of Walsingham. But if he did, they were in secret and alone. In all event, his desire for a male heir was never realized. And as time went on, he brooded. Catherine, I'm... Uh, I'm uh, moving to another wing of the castle. But why, Henry? For some time, my conscience has troubled me that it was wrong to marry my brother's widow. How long? Oh, a good while. Uh, believe me, Catherine, this is not a decision of the moment. After 15 years of marriage, during which time I bore your children, you tell me our marriage is unholy? I read the law of Leviticus that if a man married his brother's wife, both would die childless. Then the fact does not follow the law. We have Mary. Oh, but Mary's a... Well, nevertheless, the uh, Bible says it's unlawful to marry. Henry, Henry. It's not the unholiness of our marriage that troubles you, but the fact that no male heir has been born to us. Surely, Catherine, you don't think I would come to you now and say these things unless my conscience was sorely tried? Mine is not. Our marriage was sanctified by the Holy Church. In the eyes of God and man, we are man and wife. It is you who took your vows somewhat lightly. Well, I've been a true and faithful husband to you, Catherine. Yes. Adultery was only occasional with you. Far less, in fact, than I expected. I'm sorry. Genuinely sorry you should know these things. Why should I not know what all England knows? First, there was Elizabeth Blount, by whom you had a child. And then there was Mary Bullen, the sister of your present mistress. Well, I swear to you, Catherine, that between Anne Bullen and myself, there's nothing but friendship. That I believe, Henry. Forgive me that I called her your mistress. Anne Bullen's carefully coached by those few who are my enemies. 
She has hopes of being Queen of England. Catherine, it's you I'm thinking of. For and if in these many years we've lived in sinful wedlock, you want me to be apart until all doubts resolved. But, Henry, there's no doubt in my mind. There is in mine. Your brother Arthur was a boy of fifteen. We were married by proxy before I came to England. He died shortly after. The marriage was never consummated. But still, the Bible is explicit on the matter. My father made sure the marriage was lawful. He wrote to Pope Julius, and a dispensation was sent. How did you know that? My father told me. But there is the question as to whether the dispensation was lawful. Oh, Henry, let's be honest with each other. You want a son. And apparently I can't give him to you, so you'll move heaven and earth to get what you want. The king has a right to a son. No, 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 a duty to have a son. One born in lawful wedlock, though. Yes. And the only way that can happen now is for you to divorce me and marry another. Catherine, I'm not asking for a divorce. All I'm doing now is to live apart from you until the issue is settled. Settled by whom? The Pope. Do you think for one moment that the present Pope will declare that Pope Julius erred when he granted the dispensation? I don't know. All I'm asking now is for Cardinal Wolsey to write Rome for a ruling on the question. So? So the Cardinal's behind this move. Oh, no. He had nothing to do with it. Now, I don't want to argue the matter further. I'll be only too glad to drop it. No, I don't want that. Just what do you want, Henry? I want you to associate yourself with me in this request. And why should I do that? But I believe it's wrong. I am your wife. In the eyes of God the church, the people of England, and the world. Then you refuse? Oh, Henry, don't you see that I must? Then I'll ask for a declaration without you. Then I'll protest through my father to Rome. You'll not dare. Not for myself, but for my daughter. Our daughter. For if you are able to declare our union unlawful, you make Mary illegitimate. I've taken everything into account. Yes, I'm sure you have. With the connivance of Wolsey. Well, I put my faith in the Pope. The case will go against you. And Mary will remain the only lawful heir to the crown. Oh, I must see to it the decision's in my favor. Ah. When first you came, it was but for mere inquiry. Now it is a case to be argued and decided. I'll say no more. I'm leaving. Henry, if you wish to leave, I've no power to hold you. Now that Henry had taken the first step to ease his conscience, and incidentally to rescue Catherine from sinful wedlock, he moved rapidly. Cardinal Wolsey was put in charge of the delicate negotiations. Now, my liege, the proper approach to the Pope is first. Correct any impression he may have from others that you're doing this because of fear of succession to the crown. You may be sure Spain's there ahead of us with such a lie. The Pope must be convinced your motives are founded solely on justice and the great love and affection you bear for Catherine. And since your marriage is contrary to God's law, your queen will suffer the consequences too. Well, how are we to get around the dispensation given by Pope Julius? Now, there's the problem. It would be most embarrassing for the Pope to declare his predecessor had erred in giving a dispensation contrary to God's law. And Catherine said as much. You have to make things easy for the Pope. Ask him to declare Julius' dispensation invalid on... Uh, Technical grounds. And you have these technicalities? Yes. 
Five in all. One has to admit each is minor, but added up might be enough to make a case. Then see to it at once. Two clever and trusted officials were sent to Rome. They had numerous long sessions with the Pope, who, because he was under great pressure from France, Spain, and England, did not want to do anything to offend any of them. He played for time in the vain hope, perhaps, that death or a reconciliation would solve the embarrassing problem for him. However, he granted Woolsey's request for a legatine commission to act in England to inquire into the matter. Since Woolsey was papal legate for England, and next to the king the most powerful official, the inquiry was but a prejudged formality. Special legatine court authorized by His Holiness to inquire into the status of the marriage of Henry, King of England, and Catherine, Queen of England, is now in session. Henry, King of England, stand forth if you be present. Yep. Catherine, Queen of England, stand forth if you be present. Catherine, Queen of England, stand forth Get if you be present. Get off your knees. Don't make a spectacle of yourself. Sir... I beseech you to do me justice and right. Catherine! Alas, sir, how have I offended you? I take God to be my witness. I've been to you a true and loyal wife these 20 years, by whom you've had many children. This is highly irregular. I must ask you. And I put it to your conscience. If there be any cause you can allege, either of dishonesty or any other matter, Lawfully to put me from you. I'm willing to depart with shame and rebuke. You are silent, sir. Then if there be none, I pray you let me have justice at your hands. Justice, my liege lord, king and husband. For I say now for all England to hear. And when you had me first, I take God to be my judge. I was a true maid without touch of man. Come, counsel. Escort me from this place. Summon her again. Catherine, Queen of England, come into this court. It's no fit court for me. Therefore, I'll not tarry. I will, in her absence, declare unto all. She's been to me a true, obedient wife and as comfortable as I could wish or desire. I humbly beseech your highness to declare unto this audience whether I have been the first and chief mover of this matter, for I am suspect of all men. But Lord Cardinal, you've rather advised me to the contrary than being the mover of the same. I and my conscience have brought this action. I've not had any displeasure in the person or age of the queen, with whom I would be well content if our marriage stand by the law of God as any woman alive. Very well. Let us proceed. I will accept the judgment of the court to which, God willing, I'll be well content to submit myself and obey the same.
the findings of the court were inconclusive, and the whole question was back to Rome. The Pope, stiffened in his position, even though Wolsey sent veiled threats that England would risk schism and excommunication if the divorce was not granted. Wolsey fell from power when he failed to push through the divorce, but Cranmer, a tool of the king, succeeded where Wolsey had failed. Henry broke with Rome, married Anne Bullen, who, to complete the irony, bore him a daughter. Elizabeth I, of whom it is said, she was a Catholic by choice, Protestant by necessity. Henry made another visit to Our Lady of Walsingham, this time to desecrate her shrine and take back the necklace he had bestowed 30 years before. Perhaps when he died, he was still uneasy in his conscience, for it is recorded that his last words, though indistinct, were thought to be an invocation to Our Lady of Walsingham. Listening to this rebroadcast of the Ave Maria Hour, brought to you by the Franciscan Friars of the Atonement. For over 110 years, the Friars have devoted themselves to fulfilling St. Francis' prayer, to heal wounds, to unite what has fallen apart, and to bring home those who have lost their way. We work for Christian unity and interreligious understanding. We provide respite at our retreat center at Greymoor for those in need of spiritual renewal. We staff parishes throughout the world, serve as chaplains for colleges, hospitals, and prisons. We care for the ill through hospice work, ministry to those with HIV AIDS. We also shelter the homeless and provide treatment and services for those suffering from alcoholism and drug addiction. If you would like to be included in our prayer list, participate in special St. Anthony Novenas, and or visit St. Anthony's Shrine, Graymoor. Attend a retreat, learn more about our Ave Maria Hour productions, or simply make a donation to assist us in fulfilling St. Francis' prayer to help those in need. Please visit our website at atonementfriars.org or email me at avemaria at atonementfriars.org. You can write to me, Father Bob, Friars of the Atonement, Graymoor. Post Office Box 300, Garrison, New York, 10524. And so, in closing, I ask for the blessing of God upon you and those you love. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may he look upon you with kindness and give you his peace. Amen.